Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Selah Fellowship podcast of our Wednesday services. We are currently studying through the book of Exodus. Please open your Bibles to Exodus as we dive into our study this evening. Um, Exodus chapter 35, I hope is where we're picking up last week. Um, my wife and I were in Guatemala, but Exodus 35 is where I've been told, so, yeah. yeah. All right, so Father, we thank you uh, for this evening. We thank you for your word, Lord, and although it might seem repetitive, uh, the section of scripture that we're in, um, we thank you uh, for the reminders, and Lord, might we listen Pray that you fill us in the power of your spirit now, Lord, to be listeners, to be attentive, and not to quench your spirit in this time, but um, to receive um, revelation and be discerning of your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So in verse 1, then Moses gathered all the congregation of the children of Israel together and said to them, These are the words which the Lord has commanded you to do. Work shall be done for you six days, but the seventh day shall be a holy day for you, a Sabbath of rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire throughout your dwellings on the Sabbath day. Um, Now, Again, as we've been going through the book of Exodus, we've come across, um, for sure by now, we've come across this uh, law of taking a Sabbath. And I, I would apologize to you for being repetitive tonight and going back through that, but I won't because um, this is the word of the Lord. And this is, again, where we find ourselves looking at the Sabbath. Um, now, just would say, my wife happens to be in here. She would be wise to take notes of all that I'm going to share with you about the Sabbath so that she can bring these out on me <laughs> this Sunday or really later on any day for that matter as we're going to learn just a little bit. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about the Sabbath. You know, maybe other teachers as we've gone through Exodus have brought up some things about the Sabbath, but there's just a few things that I want to uh, focus on, at least here this evening in our context. Because in context, what's about to come in verse uh, in chapter 36 is really the, the people are going to enter into their busy season. They're going to enter into a busy season. In chapter 36, the work of the temple being constructed is going to finally begin. And before that work takes place, Moses gathered the people together and he shared with them in such a manner so as to put their their priorities straight. He wanted to make sure before you get busy, before you get caught up in the work, remember the importance, remember the Sabbath day, remember to rest. For all that you're going to do is going to come out of this place of rest. And so this is a prioritizing taking place. I know at least For myself and for those of us who are in ministry, summer can happen to be um, a busy season for us. This is what we say uh, for us, we're entering into our busy season. 
And as was noted, we're coming up in two days to the longest day of the year. Um, What does that mean for us in Montana? It means by 5 o'clock, it's light out. And by 10 o'clock, it's still light out. 10 o'clock at night, that is. Um, So there's plenty to do when it's still light out. So if it's not work, it's something around the house. If it's not that, uh, fill in the blank. Maybe going out, running a jet ski after service this evening, if you feel so inclined to do that. But um, what is the Sabbath? What is the Sabbath? I think Jesus gave us one great uh, statement about the Sabbath in Mark chapter 2, verse 22. He says this, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. I kind of found it interesting in verse 2. It actually uses similar verbiage. A holy day for you. Isn't that what Jesus just said? The Sabbath day was uh, made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And yet we're going to clearly see there's a purpose behind it. Um, to the Lord. So we'll get to that in a minute. I want to focus right now for just a moment. Um, The Sabbath was made for man. What does that mean? And here's another question. So do we all have to observe the Sabbath? If you and I don't observe the Sabbath, does that mean that as it says here in our text tonight, we will be put to death? Is that the case for you and I? And the answer is no. If we don't observe the Sabbath, you and I will not be put to death. How do I know? Everyone in here has probably neglected the Sabbath at some point in their life, and you're still here. You're still alive. But what we must realize is the Sabbath is God's gift to all mankind. The Sabbath is for you and I. It's, um, it's for man, and it's for our benefit. It's for healthy, whole living. It's, it's uh, for the, the benefit of body, soul, and spirit. These are the benefits of the Sabbath. And so observing the Sabbath, it's not a law for you and I. We've established we're not going to die if we don't observe it. It's not a matter of heaven or hell. It's not going to keep you um, from eternal life. However, I think if it's not a law today, then what is it and what should it be and what can we call it and how can we safely interact with it? I would say it can be a modern day practice because God is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. He has not changed the principles and purposes of a day of rest, uh, have not lost their meaning for you and I, even though we're not under the law today, we're not under the old covenant Um, So think of the Sabbath today as manufacturer's specs. And what I mean by that is the Sabbath has been put in place and made for man and given to us by our Creator. So uh, it's it's been given to us in, in the manual, if you will, by the one who's created us, who knows us best, who knows what's best for us, And so we can look at the Sabbath as a modern day practice, as a type of, these are manufacturer specs. This is from the manufacturer, how the uh, person is going to best run, how they will get the most longevity, how they will stay healthy. 
just the other day, um, Dane and one of the guys on facilities within the ministry, he and I were uh, looking over this brush hog attachment we have for our mower. And we noticed a warning label on it. And it, it said, warning. Uh, it said, if you don't slip the clutch, didn't say it exactly like this, but, um, and it's been over 10 days, you can run the risk of uh, damage taking place, which is going to basically destroy your entire um, implement, which is an attachment for a tractor. Okay? So we get into the manual and, and realize this process of slipping the clutch, it's a very specific process. It's one that's been set uh, as manufacturer specs. There's eight bolts that are uh, spring-tensioned that are keeping these slip clutch discs in place. And as you loosen them to slip the discs and tighten them back up, the, the manufacturer spec is one inch and three thirty seconds of an inch. An inch and three thirty seconds of an inch. Very, very specific manufacturer specs, but this is the manufacturer of this product, and in, in, in the manual, it's telling us if you do not follow this, you are not going to get the, the most life out of this implement, out of this attachment. And in the same way, the Sabbath, we can look and realize God who made us, who knows us best, is saying rest is good for you. It's good for you to take a break. And it's important, especially in the context of lots of work to be done, that we heed this warning this evening, knowing, as I just mentioned, this is a busy season for so many of us, just by nature of uh, all the daylight that we have, which is a blessing and a curse at the same time. Okay, and so we realize this um, inability to sit still is nothing new to mankind. All right, these people needed the, the same warning as they were getting ready to enter into work that you and I also need. This was the same warning that Moses was bringing again to their attention, reminding them again of taking the Sabbath and the importance of it. Now, there was an article that I read. It came out in January of this year, and it was, uh, it's on a website, religionnews.com. So please uh, pay attention here. Tiffany Schlein built her career by being online almost all the time. She founded the Webby Awards, which honor the best of the web each year. She also runs a film studio and creates online conversations to use the internet in its best way, which is to bring people together on issues that unite us, she said. And yet, every Friday evening... For nearly a decade, Shlaine and her family have unplugged their devices and spent the next 24 hours offline in what she calls a technology Shabbat. All right, she goes on to say, as our society becomes more oversaturated with technology, I feel like it's the thing we need right now, she said. Tech Shabbat is a modern twist on an ancient religious practice which is attracting the attention of burned-out millennials and others who are exhausted by trying to keep up in an increasingly connected and fast-paced world. Okay, this is just worldly wisdom speaking into something that God's told us about long, long ago. And, there, and she goes on to say, and there's some science to support the idea that practicing a day of rest, including time 
away from social media and digital devices benefits longevity and both mental and physical health. She also said this, it's a practice that can benefit people of faith and those who don't believe alike. Why? It's for all mankind. This is from God, our designer and our creator. He knows us best. She later brings out these statistics about Seventh-day Adventists. uh, And perhaps you've heard these statistics linked up to the idea of the Sabbath day um, if someone's attempting to communicate the importance. But here she says, about the Seventh-day Adventists who take Sabbath seriously, worshiping, avoiding work, and spending time with other church members on Saturday. Saturday is the day that these Seventh-day Adventists observe their day of rest. In 2005, National Geographic published the findings of scientists funded in part by the U.S. National Institute who traveled around the globe to learn the secrets of longevity from populations that had high rates of centenarians, few deadly diseases, and more healthy years of life. Among them were Seventh-day Adventists in Loma Linda, California. Scientists pointed to Adventist practice of Sabbath as one of the reasons for their good health. Again, this is maybe a statistic you've heard before. An earlier study found the average Adventist lived four to ten years longer than the average Californian. I guess they claim Californians to be the oversaturated, uh, highly busy-bodied people. But um, So here's the thing. What a great article that has scientific truth backing it. However, I love the concept of unplugging. There's just one issue with it. Um, For you and I, Sabbath is not just about unplugging, but it's also about plugging in. Plugging in to the Lord. There's there's more to it. And actually in Isaiah 58, 13 and 14, I remember the first time I ever read this, uh, being quite legalistic about it. I maybe took it to an extreme. But uh, here it says, If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, And call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words. Then you shall delight yourself in the Lord. Then, condition, right? After all those things, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth. Sounds like a place we would all want to live, the high hills of the earth. And feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. And so again, this is what the Lord is saying about the Sabbath day as it relates to a day that was put in place under the law of the old covenant of which again, you and I are not under. However, the principles of it have not faded away. When Jesus came, the law was not abolished, but we know it was fulfilled. The law has its purpose in place, and God has not changed. He has simply brought fulfillment. He's brought greater application to these things for us today. So, just a few thoughts I had uh, for your Sabbath day. How to, yes, unplug, but not just unplug. It's not just about um, checking out. It's also good to check in at some point throughout that day of rest. So, maybe it is that you read a book 
um, or a chapter of a book with your spouse. If reading's difficult, uh, we had a book that we've tried to read for two years, and we finally just made it through it. And one road trip uh, on audiobook. Thank the Lord for that technology. Um, all kinds of ways you can uh, pray. You can even take a nap. That's okay to do on your day of rest. You know why? Psalm 127 says the Lord gives to his beloved sleep. Okay, you can worship. Um, Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath day. So you can minister to people. You can love people. You can fellowship with people. Have people over for a meal. Take a meal to someone. Um, These are all things you can do. Maybe it is that you can say no to something that's on your to-do list if it means that it's going to get in the way or get between uh, you being able to put the Lord first and an opportunity that's before you to be able to spend time with family, friends, or whatever it might be, or the Lord for that matter. Um, This is for me realizing the lawn will still be there after lunch. All right. If I wait a day, the dirt will still come off of the car when I wash it. It it will not petrify as much as I feel that in my soul as I look at it uh, dirty. It's it will come off and it can wait if it means being able to put the Lord first, if it means being able to unplug from the busyness and plug in. Um, And so, again, the Sabbath day. It's not a law. And actually, at the end of uh, this evening, we're going to look at just one more principle about uh, rest from the New Testament. And I'm going to hold that for communion, which we'll take at the end of this evening. But um, let's continue now. Verses 4 through 29. We're going to cover a lot of ground because there's really just one thing uh, going on here that I'd like to point out. And so... Moses spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord commanded. We're going to pick up in verse 5. I'll I'll let you guys be studious as we go through this. There is uh, one rendering of a word that appears in two different ways. Um, And it appears seven times, or actually six times, in verses 4 through 29. So, this is like, where's Waldo? See if you can find um, what this word is. I won't tell you now, but uh, verse 5. Take from among you an offering to the Lord. Whoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it as an offering to the Lord. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and linen, and goat's hair, ram skins dyed red, badger skins, and acacia wood, oil for the light, and spices for the anointing oil, And the sweet incense, onyx stones and the stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate. Verse 10. All who are gifted artisans among you shall come and make all that the Lord has commanded. The tabernacle, its tent, its covering, its clasp, its boards, its bars, its pillars and its sockets. The ark and its poles with the mercy seat and the veil and the covering. The table and its poles, all its utensils and the showbread and the lampstand for the light, its utensils, its lamps, and the oil for the light, the incense altar, its poles, the anointing oil, the sweet incense, and the screen for the door at the entrance of the tabernacle. Verse 16, the altar of burnt offering with its bronze grating, its poles, all its utensils, and the laver in its base, the hangings of the court, its pillars, their sockets, 
and the screen for the gate of the court. The pegs of the tabernacle, the pegs of the court and their cords, the garments of ministry for ministering in the holy place and the holy garments for Aaron the priest and the garments of his sons to minister as priests. Now verse 20, and all the congregation of the children of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. Then everyone came whose heart was stirred and everyone whose spirit was willing and they brought the Lord's offering for the work of the tabernacle of meeting for all its service and for the holy garments. 22, they came both men and women as many had a willing heart and brought earrings and nose rings, rings and necklaces, all jewelry and gold. That is every man who made an offering of gold to the Lord and every man with whom was found blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen, goat's hair, red skins of rams, and badger skins brought them. Verse 24, everyone who offered an offering of silver or bronze brought the Lord's offering, and every one with whom was found a condication for any work of the service brought it. All the women who were gifted artisans spun yarn with their hands and brought what they had spun blue, purple, and scarlet, and fine linen. 26, and all of the women whose hearts stirred wisdom spun yarn of goat's hair. The rulers brought onyx stones and the stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate and the spices and the oil for the light, for the anointing oil and for the sweet incense. The children of Israel brought a free will offering to the Lord and all the men and women whose hearts were willing to bring material for all kinds of work which the Lord, by the hand of Moses, had commanded to be done. So, six renderings of this word, willing. Or, some renderings put it, stirred. Uh, Same idea, a heart that is willing, a heart that has been stirred by God. Um, There's two things I think we can take out of this idea of a willing heart. First, our giving our service should be out of a willing heart. It's very clear here that Moses gave instruction. He allowed the people to go away and those who were willing to come back for this work. And so a willing heart. Um, I'm going to ask for forgiveness later if it's needed, but I'm going to use Theo as an example. I know he's in here. Um, so there was a point in time towards the end of the fall, beginning of winter last year, where we needed to uh, get a hay barn, a big pole barn structure, uh, the walls enclosed on it. And uh, this was going to be quite a process because before we could put the big sheets of sheet metal up on the sides, we had to run nailers. Um, nailers are just what you would run in the horizontal uh, order on all these big vertical posts. And uh, so metal on metal, we needed to weld these nailers onto these, um, onto the big uh, beams of the steel structure. Theo happens to love to weld. And uh, so much that when he was uh, given this opportunity to weld on this hay barn, um, there was no mistaking his willingness and, and the joy and the readiness and the excitement just radiating all over Theo to do this work. He's like a little kid. I mean, so much so that we had to just, just a little bit slow down and uh, 
think through what we were going to do before the whole place burnt down because um, we were also welding over probably less at that point, but 60 tons of hay. So it's kind of like playing with fire, um, you know, and, and a batch of gasoline, not very wise. But um, And I remember having a conversation with Theo and just sharing with him and um, talking to him about having a willing heart and doing things and, and doing them uh, with without complaint or without... Um, not begrudgingly, right? And so I just said, you know, um, you have that example that you've set for yourself, ultimately, of what you know it looks like for you when you're doing something and it's being done out of a willing heart. Something you love to do. It's something you're filled with joy as you're doing it. And I just shared, you know, even the tasks that uh, you, you don't want to do. And as, as we were sharing, of course, this is for me as well, the the low tasks, the ones that we don't like, the ones that we don't enjoy. We have to be challenged by the things we do love. Now, for me, I could say uh, we just had a wedding within the ministry on Sunday. Um, we have somewhere close to 10 acres of mowable grass on our ranch property. And uh, there's just one section of grass that I love to cut. Um, I'm an odd person. I love grass. I, I like the sun, which can put you in the sun when you're mowing, but also love straight lines. And this one section of grass, I just, in all the stuff to do, I was leaving it for me to get to do. And I, the only time I had time to do it was as the sun was coming up. And, um, you know, that for me, there was nothing that I was in that moment at five in the morning complaining about being out there doing that. Just sheer joy for me. I, you could pick nine out other people in, in a row of ten and they would probably hate that and complain about that. Um, but the point I'm making here is we all have something we love to do or perhaps we get to do. Maybe it's in our ministry or in our workplace or wherever we find ourselves that we can have that sets a, a plumb line, if you will. Something that can challenge us where we know what it looks like to serve with a willing heart and we know what it looks like to serve when our hearts aren't so willing. Actually, the New Testament takes this principle and puts it quite simpler. So let each one of you give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. So don't give, don't serve out of a grudging, complaining, moaning, moping heart or spirit, but rather out of a cheerful heart. Being a cheerful giver, being someone who is cheerful in their service. And the reality is, as we just talked about, not all of life in serving the Lord is doing things that we like to do. Sometimes it means doing things we don't like to do, right? That reality of ministry and following the Father was painted for us in the life of Christ. Where we see Him in the Garden of Gethsemane. And what we know about him in that moment is this was something he did not want to do. So much so to the point that we know Jesus asked the Father the question, is there any other way that this can be done? And at the end of the day, what was his resolution? Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. His willingness wasn't because it's what he liked to do. It's because it was what he realized the Father was asking him to do. And for that, he allowed his heart to be changed to the heart of the Father so that he could be willing 
for the things that he would do that he does not like to do. So, you know, not all of life is welding or mowing grass for Theo and I. Um, there's a lot of things that we do that we're not too fond of. Or we don't joy fully wake up and get out of bed at five to go do. The second thing I think we take out of this uh, word that appears multiple times here, of doing this from a willing heart, is what we see in verse 20. And all the congregation of the children of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. Up to that point, Moses said to the people, hey, here's what needs to get done. And after that, everybody went away. And then in verse 21, then everyone came whose heart was stirred. So then everyone came, but condition. Not then everyone came as in everyone, as in all people, but as in condition, the people who what? Whose heart was stirred. So that implies that maybe some people did not come back. Maybe everyone who heard this instruction of, of all that heard, not all came back, but some did. Why their hearts were stirred. They realized of this instruction... The Lord stirred in them a willingness to do the work that uh, was shared with them that needed to be done. And so healthy leadership instructs, gives people time to go away and seek the Lord and allow for Him to stir on their hearts. Now, if that's a word for the leader, then how about one more for the leader and then for the listener? Okay, for the leader... Uh, ultimately, man's role is to teach, instruct, share truth, cast vision, but it's only for God to stir the heart and put in the heart of someone a willingness to do what's being taught, what's being instructed, what truth is being shared, and what vision has been cast. That's the work for the Lord. Now, if you're getting out of this because you're not a leader or don't see yourself like that, um, how about for the listeners, those who are listening to instruction, listening to truth, listening to vision? Um, how should we respond? How should we behave then in this manner? Um, it's for us to listen, to go away and seek the Lord and allow for Him to take that instruction or truth and stir in us our hearts. I think of this scripture in the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 20 through 22 says this, Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. So, don't despise prophecies. Be open to the word of the Lord. However, test all things. Weigh what you've heard. Take them back to the Lord. Be discerning in what is what is good, you need to be open to it and you need to receive it and allow for your heart to be stirred. However, what is not needs to be put off to the side and left to fall away. This is the type of learners that you and I must be. Would this be the condition of our hearts right now as we're under the instruction of the word of the Lord, as we're hopefully interacting and communing with the Spirit of God, all right, and in all of this, one of the things I love the most, and I hope that if you have never experienced this, you would, is how awesome it is to serve with a group of people whose hearts have been stirred by the Lord 
for doing the work of the Lord. And as we move on, we'll look into more of the scene of what that looks like. Really, we're going to just look at two more uh, quick things, and then we'll roll into communion. So in verses 25 and 26, which are within the verses we read, there's just a different note that I want to make. All the women who were gifted artisans spun yarn with their hands and brought what they had spun of blue, purple, and scarlet and fine linen. And all the women whose hearts stirred with wisdom spun yarn of goat's hair. And actually, we need to read verse 27. The rulers, onyx stones, and so on. Now, the skillful women were mentioned first, recognized first, before the leaders, before the overseers. I just I just put that out for this reason. So often it seems that first the most important get the recognition. However, in this case, look at the recognition being given to the women who were doing simply what they could with their hands. They were just simply doing what they could with their hands, and yet I love Scripture. And the recognition it gives to this type of unseen, behind-the-scenes, secret service. And it's always good encouragement for us who know that so much of what we do is just before the Lord. Or it's just unseen. Or it seems as though we're only doing what we can do. And it feels or seems as if it's not enough. And yet the recognition of Scripture here is that what these women did by hand, the Lord shows his care, his concern, his detail, down to the very detail of what their hands did, spun the yarn, what they were doing, what material they were using as they did it. And I think of a scripture, again in the New Testament, Mark 14, 8. It's within a beautiful scene of scripture. It's really just five words. She did what she could. She did what she could. There's actually a book written off of these five words titled, She Did What She Could. Subtitle, Five Words of Jesus That Could Change Your Life. I remember when my wife uh, was very pregnant and then had just had the child. um, I kept saying to her, I think this is how all of this transpired. Just do what you can. And she would do what she could. And I stumbled across that book and I bought it. Don't think either of us have read it. However, it makes a great... um, It's more like a picture than a book for us. Uh, But it's a constant reminder of those five words from the mouth of Jesus. She did what she could. What a statement. And yet, I say this. Don't ever feel like what you can do isn't enough. And I realized something. We're up against, um, we're up against the same issue that this woman in Scripture was up against. All right, this was the scene where she takes the alabaster flask and pours it out, the ointment over the head of Jesus. And guess what came next? There were people who wanted to stand by, look on, and judge what she was doing. They wanted to look at what she did, why she did it, the way she did it, and they had something to say about it. And how many times have you and I done what we could, and then only to find that we meet this opposition of people jumping in with their opinion to judge us, or they have an issue with maybe it's not even what we do, but the way we do it. All right? 
Uh, we've all heard it growing up. You know, it's, it's the way he or she shoots the basketball or the way he or she throws the ball. Or if you're the younger brother and, and the older brothers in the picture, it's uh, being told that you throw like a girl. Um, whatever a girl throws like, I don't know. And for the girls, I'm sorry. But that's what older brothers do. Um, all of these opinions about the way we've done the things that we do. And in some cases, this has hindered you and I from simply doing what we can do. We've been held back from doing perhaps a thing that the Lord wants us to do because we're being questioned about it. And and realize this woman experienced the same kind of questioning, the same kind of opposition that you and I face. And so I just ask and leave this with you to ponder what's been said about you, about us, what we do and the way we do it that has kept us from doing all we can. I just leave that for you to think on later. All right, we're going to finish with verses 30 through 35. And Moses said to the children of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God and the wisdom of understanding and knowledge and in all manner of workmanship to design artistic works, to work in gold and silver and bronze and cutting jewels for setting and carving wood and to work in all manner of artistic workmanship. Verse 34, and he has put in his heart the ability to teach in him and Oheliab, now the second guy we're going to hear about, the son of Ahizamach of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with skill to do all manner of work of the engraver and the designer and the tapestry maker and blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine linen and of the weaver, those who do every work and those who design artistic works. Filled him with the Spirit of God to work. These men were filled with the Spirit of God to work. Called by name, Bezalel and Oheliab. Listen to these names. And names had so much more meaning in their day than they do in ours. Bezalel, who was the the overseer of the building of the temple. And Oheliab, who was his number two guy. uh, Kind of like modern Bezalel would have been the builder architect. Oheliab was the interior designer. If you break these tasks down and look a little deeper. But Bezalel in the shadow of God. Bezalel, somehow God in his... All-knowing nature names this man with a name that was going to fit his role so well one day. For what we just read from verses uh, 4 through 19 was the specific details of how the temple was to be built. And the person building the temple better have found themselves in the shadow of God because it was going to be a a literal shadow of God for the people. That's what the temple they were building was to be. And then Oheliab. Oh, I don't even know. It's all good. 
Aholab. Probably better on the first one, anyhow. His name, Father's Tent. Father's Tent. Never forget, as you're decorating, and as you are, Aheliab, designing and filling this temple, whose it is. It's your Father's. It's the Lord Himself. Just a very uh, little detail, neat to point out. But what I really want to say about this final thing as we close is um, what we see here in the filling is a manifestation and uh, for a specific task. Specific manifestations of the Spirit for specific tasks. For these two men... As the Spirit filled them, they were filled with, again, a manifestation is just an outworking. What are these outworkings? Well, for the first, uh, for Bezalel, wisdom, understanding, knowledge, all manner of workmanship, all manner, okay, the ultimate DIY guy, all manner of workmanship, he could do it all, and to teach. As I mentioned, I'm going to just briefly share here for a moment. The worship team and the ushers for communion are free to work their way up now. Um, We do have ushers for communion, correct? Beautiful. So I want us to just think uh, now as we saw this idea of rest being from God. I want to just share um, of the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 4. We hear of the Sabbath day being spoken of in this manner. Chapter 4, verse 4. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. So, speaking about the Sabbath. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this place they shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains that some must enter it. And those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience again. And he designates a certain day, saying in David, Today, after such a long time as it had been said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works, as God did from his Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. So here we see rest now being communicated in a manner of we can find rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Not that we have to wait for a day or that we have to literally set aside a day to enter into the rest that you and I have in Christ. And we know of that rest because we resonate with the last words that were echoed from the cross to Telestai. It is finished. The work is finished. And that rest is rest that we can enter into right now. And, and that's what uh, we do, partaking in Communion is remembering the death of Christ and the way that he made for us and the access we have uh, and the rest from, from the works. The work on the cross was finished. And that's what we 
remember, as we remember the cross, a way has been made. And so I know this evening, it's easy to be so busy um, when you just cannot wait until that one day a week comes around, that Sabbath day. You can find rest anywhere, anytime in Christ, and it's, it's free access that you and I have. Thank you for joining us for this study through the book of Exodus this evening. If you would like more information about Sela Fellowship, please visit us on the web at selahfellowship.org. While you are there, feel free to check out some of our other messages and past book studies. Thank you again, and God bless.